Hi, everybody. I'm Claire. If I'm part of the team here. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. And um, it is good to be with you sharing. And we're, we're just going to start a little series, like Matt said, on the Beatitudes, which is a kind of Latin word, or it's come from the Latin, which, um, which means blessed. Um, but we are going to unpack a little bit this, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever taught. But before we go there, I'll just tell you a couple of stories. Um, <clears throat> This week, it was Halloween, and um, a few people uh, in Stokescroft decided to get together and and go treat-or-treating. Have you ever been treat-or-treating? Head spin, I know. But basically, we took about 200 bags of little treats out around the neighborhood and um, offered to, just knocked on doors and said, this is reverse trick-or-treating, we're going to give you a gift, you don't have to do anything, and um, is there anything that we could pray for for you? And um, we had a really amazing time. And it was, um, people were incredibly sort of open and friendly as you might expect them to be. But off the back of that, um, we held a small party in one of the community houses down in Stokes Croft. And at the party, we, um, there was a few people there from the house and from the, the sort of circle of friends. But there was also a bit of an open invitation for people that maybe had been met during the door knocking time or just people that the house had been connecting with over the last few weeks. And um, some of the people in, in that particular house have really felt like, what does it look like to really engage with living in this neighborhood and to be genuinely open to the neighborhood rather than just keeping in our Um, huddles of friendship and our custom circles of friendship and people that we normally talk to. So there's been a real sort of sense that actually what it's supposed to look like is a really open-hearted sort of um, embracing of the neighborhood that they live in. And so quite a few invitations have gone out over the weeks to people to come back to this particular house for dinner. And there's been quite a few people who have come back to the house for dinner. And one particular guy said to Joy when she was talking to him, do you know, I've lived in this neighborhood for 30 years. I've lived in Bristol for 30 years and I've never had a deep conversation until I met you. 30 years of living in this kind of sense of feeling a bit on the outside and he was there at the party and few other people there at the party who were just um, a couple of people who have been street homeless and have struggled to find a place to engage in community and they were there as well and just towards the end of the party um, Joy was just looking around the party and there was a couple of women there that she didn't recognize at all and it, it looked it looked like they were local working women who were um, who were sex workers who were working in the local area and she, she wasn't sure how they'd got in, but they were having a really good time talking to loads of people. And at the end of the evening, as they were leaving, they stood on the doorstep talking to Joy. And they turned to her as they were going and said, thank you for a lovely party. <laughs> and they said to her, do you know God? And Joy said, yeah, yeah, I do actually. And they said, yeah, but do you know Jesus? And she said, yes, I I do. Do you know Jesus? And this one woman said, yes, I've seen Jesus and his father is light. 
And that was the end of the conversation. And she then just turned and sort of walked off down the street with her friend. And Joy was just recounting this morning when she was sharing about it that she just had one of those moments of, you know, the invitation of, of welcome from God is far broader and more generous than we are, than I am. There is far more in the heart of God that says you, whoever you are, are welcome in the kingdom, at my table, in my family. His generosity far goes beyond ours. And we, in our fear and tendency towards judgment, can, can tend to constrict that a little bit and find ourselves not opening the door. I just felt really challenged by hearing the story. And <clears throat> it's just interesting thinking about the Beatitudes where Jesus is really talking about what is it to lead a happy and blessed life. And one of the, I love to ask these two questions of people. Do you know how to be happy? And do you know how to be good? Do you know these things? Because actually they're pursuits of human beings around the world all the time. Everyone wants to be happy. And in fact, if you ask any parent anywhere in the world, what do you want for your children? The most common answer is, I really just want them to be happy. Happiness is something that humans long for and search for. And I think as well that we want to be good for the most part. <laughs> it's an area of struggle for sure. But we want to be good, and people want to be good, and we love it when we see people being good, and we think that is a good thing. So do you know how to be happy? Do you know how to be good? And this sermon series from Jesus is really around those themes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to a place called the Mount of the Beatitudes. Now, I went there. And um, there's a little picture of this place. It's a very beautiful place. I went there about 10 years ago. It's like a plain overlooking the sea. It's, it's, well, you can see it's very beautiful. It's peaceful. If you sit down amongst the, on the grass, the wind is wafting gently around you. The smell and the scent of flowers. It's just a lovely place. Peaceful, joyful, a place where you think, oh, this is just how life should be. And in this particular place, we sat down with a group of people to listen to this particular sermon. And um, we listened to it. And I thought to myself, this is one of the most difficult, puzzling, hard bits of scripture that exists. And it is really out of tune with how lovely this place is. And, you know, sometimes people talk about the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of the, uh, the, uh, the Beatitudes, and they love it. People go on about it. President Obama, in his presidential campaign, I live by the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount. 60% of Americans apparently think Billy Graham wrote the, uh, the Beatitudes. Yeah, little lack of Bible knowledge there. So, but it's bandied around in culture, in talking. I live by the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I find myself thinking, why? It's so unappealing. 
Why would you love that so much? What do you mean you live by it? Um, I think that, to be honest, people love it, but they don't really want to engage with the reality of the person that was giving and delivering this sermon. As John Piper said, they love all the ethics of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, but they don't really like the spooky supernatural person who um, stops storms and he casts out demons. They don't want to engage with the real Jesus who's delivering this difficult sermon. So you may think it's beautiful. It's interesting if you do. C.S. Lewis said this about the Sermon on the Mount. As for caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for it here means liking or enjoying, I suppose, liking or enjoying it, so no, no one really cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I must admit I agree. There's something about this sermon that is incredibly provocative and it's not particularly easy to hear. And so we're going to go through this for the next few weeks. And it's a series of kind of eight sayings on how to be blessed and how to be happy. Jesus uses a word in it for blessed, which is Greek, and it's makarios. Makarios means, it's a word meaning blessed and happy, but into first century ears, they would be hearing the blessed people. They are the elite. They are the ones who don't have any money worries. They are the people who have, you know, earned by some virtue the blessing of God because they're the good ones and they're rich and elite. In fact, it's a word given to describe the gods themselves, the Greek gods. They were makarios. They were blessed. And there they are. There's some really good six-packs on that picture. (laughs) You know, they're blessed with good bodies, impeccable pecs. They're lounging around on Mount Olympus. They are makarios. They have been blessed by God. They are the elite and special and they don't do anything wrong. And that's what it means to be blessed to first century ears. But on this particular day, when Jesus starts to preach, he's just come from preaching and teaching and actually what he's been doing is he's been healing loads of people casting out demons there's been absolutely crowds of people pressing around him and you can imagine it can't you disabled people people who can't walk people who can't see people who couldn't hear people who were demonized people who were mentally ill people who um who were just the outcasts who were lepers they're not makarios not the blessed ones And they're pressing around Jesus because he's healing and he's setting them free. And in two first century ears, if you were sick or you were poor or you were demonized or you were an outcast, you weren't just an unhappy person, you were a cursed person. You were the absolute opposite of blessed, you were cursed. And so Jesus arrives at this amazing mountaintop sort of plateau and he arrives with his entourage of the accursed. People who are not inside the kingdom of God. 
people who are cursed, people of the outcasts. And he starts to say these things and he talks to them as if they were the lucky ones. I'm using that word because I think we relate to it in this, in the 21st century. They're blessed. He turns around to them and he turns everything upside down and he says to them, you thought the blessed ones were the gods, the elite, but you've got it all wrong. And really what he's doing is he's announcing something about the way that the kingdom of God works, which totally count, is counter to our instincts. <clears throat> and we're going to start going th- over the next four weeks through these eight sayings. And um, we're going to read them now. So this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' Um, amazing sermon that's been so often quoted, full of all that sort of conflict that I was saying. Let's read it, shall we? Actually, go to the next slide. If you go further down, that's it. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, get ready. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, all because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the good news. That is how to be happy. It's got mixed tones in it, hasn't it? It's got some good words. We love peacemakers and things like that. But there's this sense here of, I think, just going for the jugular of what life is really like. And we're going to look today at the first two of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And that's what we're going to do. Now, in the third century, there's a a teacher called John Christostom. And he said that you've got to think of the Beatitudes a bit like a golden chain. They're not kind of individual things that you can take off and say, I like this one, but I don't like that one. It's almost like a chain that hangs around somebody's neck. And on the beginning of the Beatitudes, it's going down. There's almost like a deconstructing of our lives and our understanding of what it is to be a human being. It's actually quite hard. It's an unpacking of the ego and the things that we value, things that we really long for. It's almost like this chain that you have to go through these understandings of what it is to be part of God's family before on the way back up you become the peacemakers those that inherit the earth and those who fight for justice because reality is no one wants to be poor in spirit put your hand up if that's your favorite idea about what you 
were looking for when you came to Christianity. When you wanted to come to know God, when you wanted to be part of his family, you weren't looking to be poor in spirit. I hate the sound of the phrase poor in spirit. I do, because I don't want to be poor in spirit. I want to be powerful in spirit. Now, at this point, anyone who knows me will say, well, you're always saying you're a powerful person. I believe that we're supposed to be powerful people. But actually, God is saying to us, you're, I want you to, you to understand that being poor in spirit is important. The first beatitude is like a diagnosis of the human problem. It's a diagnosis of what is going on in you. Because truth is, whatever you say, you don't really want it. Who wants to be someone who's come to the end of themselves? What is it like for you when you're coming to the end of your resources, your knowledge? What do you do? Put your hands up and say, I don't know or I don't understand. Or do you, you kind of like um, stutter and stammer and try to show that you know more than maybe you, re- you think you know, that people think you know? Or what is it like for you when you've run out of energy, you've run out of talent? What about if you, who wants to be somebody who's run out of friendships? or resources. No one wants to run out of things. What are you like? Where is the front line for you where you feel most under pressure? Think about it now. Is it in your work life? In your social life? In your romantic life? In your internal life? In your mental life? Where do you feel most under pressure? What's the front line for you? Do you want to go to the end of that and be pushed over so that you've got no, you've actually lost all your resources in that area? Or are you scrabbling around, trying your hardest to be strong and powerful, holding on to your, your reputation? Who wants to lose their reputation? We hate that. People talking about us. People talking, saying false things about us worst thing of all and there's Jesus saying it's you're blessed towards the end of his sermon when they say all sorts of false things about you anyone want to be poor in spirit to be poor in spirit is someone who has come to the end of themselves and we don't want to be poor in spirit the word poor that Jesus uses means completely destitute completely without resources Blessed are you when you've run out. I think that the recovery community has got a lot to teach us in this area. Because one of the first steps for people who go into recovery is this recognition. I have been dealing with something that is stronger than me. And I cannot beat it. And I've got to turn to a power that is bigger than me. Because I am not enough. Who's been to that place? Some of us, many of us have. You come to that place. You come to the end of yourself. And I think it it requires a degree of self-knowledge that we're not always ready to engage with. That's what we do on wholeness. We try and unpack a little bit how, why we are the way we are. Where's it come from? What are the influences? What's it done to us? How are we defending ourselves? 
in order to survive. It requires a degree of self-knowledge to admit our attraction to sin, our pride, our inability to let go of our pride, our mood swings, irrational behaviors. You know, the things that drive us to the point where we just, we feel ashamed of ourselves. No one wants to be poor in spirit. And yet Jesus is saying, when you're coming to the end of yourself like that, and you're recognizing, oh, this is the edges of my resources. Actually, beyond this point, I'm going to lose it. I can't hold on to my peace. I don't seem to have a joy that will come anyway. I'm not at peace. You know, when you come to that place, Jesus is saying, that is a blessed place. How can it be? How can it be? <clears throat> I had a few years ago, I had a hip operation, a hip replacement operation. It all went really well until a month later, I got an infection in the wound and I ended up with sepsis in hospital. Lots of you know this, but I ended up on one particular day nearly dying. A tiny little microscopic bacteria got in to me and totally overpowered me. And I had nothing, there was nothing I could do. Until I had antibiotics, I would have died without antibiotics. And in the period afterwards, I, um, I tried to recover and had the weirdest time for about six weeks where I could not resurrect myself. I just couldn't. I was absolutely done by this period of time, two weeks in hospital. And I think, you know, sometimes people say, you know, you had a near-death experience. Did you really encounter God? No, it was flat as a pancake. I felt like I was in hospital and I didn't care about anything at all. I just couldn't even think. I just lay there as flat as a pancake for two weeks. And then I had another six weeks where I was trying to recover, trying to sort of resurrect a bit of interest in life or a sense of the presence of God or read my Bible or do anything to try and spark up a bit of resurrection life in me. I couldn't bring myself back to life. Surprise, surprise. And I think, you know, it's not news to any of us, but we haven't got the power of life and death over us, a tiny bacteria can do us in. You know, have you faced that part of yourself that really, have you recognized with that a degree of self-knowledge that things can overpower you and you will get to the end of yourself? It may be your broken sin nature that is leading you down alleyways, paths that are dark, that you cannot conquer, you cannot overcome. It may be an inability to get past your past. You come to the end of yourself. Your, your character traits that you can't overcome. And Jesus is saying, when you come to the end, something is possible that wasn't possible before. As if your self-reliance was in the way. And you get to the place where you think, that's it. I've run out. I'm poor in spirit. I've got nothing to bring to the table. Jesus is saying, you're like the elite gods on Mount Olympus. You are the ones who have stepped into blessing. 
at that point. What does that mean for you? If you look through the lens of scripture, you see Jesus all the time taking people to the ends or the edges of themselves. This morning I heard a great sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. The point being, you know, the disciples, Jesus says to them, on this day there's 5,000 people or more looking for food. And they say to Jesus, we haven't got enough food. Send them all away. There's no food here for all these people. And Jesus says, oh, you feed them. Ridiculous moment in the Gospels, even more ridiculous when they finally find, after searching and searching, a little boy with a little packed lunch of five loaves and two fishes, and they say, this is all we could find. And what happens? They come to the end of themselves. They've got nothing. A little packed lunch. What's your little packed lunch looking like? Already been eaten, maybe. Maybe it's come to the end. And then something happens because they had nothing that allowed this incredible moment of God's provision where Jesus feeds an entire crowd of 5,000 people. What does it look like to go beyond your limitations into impossibility, inconvenience, opening your doors to people you're a bit scared of, diving down into the dark pathways of your history that you didn't want to look at and admit saying, I'm powerless over this thing. What does it look like to come to the end of yourself because God then can step in? The second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. How can that be blessed? I think it's closely allied to this one because it's the same principle. I don't know if you've mourned anyone a few years ago, um, my best friend committed suicide. We lost her. And to be honest, in a weird sort of way, she was the life and soul of the party. She, we had an amazing friendship group. And she was right at the center of it. She was the gatherer. And she, in a series of really difficult months and years that where she couldn't get on top of her emotions she ended up killing herself and there's this strange thing that we all noticed in our friendship group we hated new year's eve because that was new year's eve was a year was a time when we would gather as friends and have a party for years 20 years and for some weird reason new year's eve was the night when we all just felt like oh it's rubbish now because she's not there to mourn someone is to come to a place where you, you come to a place where someone else's removal from your life, you're mourning something or someone and you realize your limitations in the shadow of it. It's another coming to the end of yourself where mourning can really take us into a place where we feel powerless. Maybe you're somebody who feels powerless when you mourn the look of the world at the moment. The grief that is unfolding in Gaza and Israel. And all you can do is just, you want to tear your hair out. You want to mourn because you cannot change it. 
And the best and most appropriate thing we can do is say, I've come to the end. We are at the end, God. We cannot solve this. Look at us, God. Look at what we do to each other and mourn it. And Jesus is saying, when you mourn, there's a comfort available to you. In the same way as those who come to the end of themselves, to the poor in spirit, I am present to you and you can meet me there. Jesus is the one who, who did his own pathway of grief. He encountered sorrow. The prophet Isaiah prophesied 700 years before he's going to be familiar with suffering. What is the comfort that is available to those who mourn? To you, when you mourn, maybe you've never really mourned anything. You will. If you carry on being alive, you will mourn. You might mourn the loss of someone precious. You might mourn the loss of a lifestyle or something that you really loved and you lost. Because losing things is part of being human. And Jesus says, when you mourn, I'll meet you there. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who walked that path of loss and suffering and sorrow. He became familiar with it so that he could meet you there. Everything that you mourn, every loss in life, every coming to the end of ourselves has the capacity to be a place where you can meet Jesus. So how, how is it that it can be a blessing and not a curse? Because these things we're talking about feel like curses, don't they? Actually, we become people who go from cursed to blessing and then to be a blessing to others. Just that is the trajectory of the Beatitudes, is for us to come to the end of ourselves and encounter the blessing of God. And then somehow the spin-off is what the kingdom of God looks like, is what the church looks like, is what you and I are meant to look like. And on that particular day, Jesus walks into this plane and the unthinkable happens. The accursed of God get the new reality that Jesus is announcing. Someone said that the Beatitudes aren't rules. They're announcements about the way things really are. And some of us need to really reconstruct our view of what God is like. Because I think lots of us hold this view that God's fed up with us when we fail. I know you do, and I think it too. I think that God might be a bit irritated or exasperated that I don't just sort out this area of my life or get over this or that. And I feel like he might be clicking his fingers, thinking, saying, I've resourced you, I've given you so much, can't you just sort that out? And actually, this is an announcement, these Beatitudes. That place you come to the end of yourself, that place where you can't get over something that you're mourning, that is the place where you're most blessed because you've got access to the kingdom of God. You know, the reward for those who are poor in spirit is that they're going to see the kingdom of God. What is in the kingdom of God? Supernatural power. 
supernatural power for transformation, for healing, for prophecy, for generosity that goes beyond, that is brave and risky and, and steps out beyond the normal. Supernatural power for bringing justice, for raising up a justice warrior or someone who will pray for justice from someone who's quite ordinary, who can become extraordinary. If we can come to that place of being poor in spirit and asking God to enter into our morning with us. I'm just going to show you this little slide. <clears throat> it says these four words, humility, gratitude, affection, and dependency. When we get to the end of ourselves and when we come to a place where in all humility, we're just saying before God, this is the end, I've run out now. And you know what that is for you. It's different for each one of us. But that place is a very important moment in your spiritual journey. Have you got there? Have you got to the end of yourself? Now what you can do at that point is sink into despair. And you have a spiritual enemy who is absolutely ready to jump on your shoulders and tell you, you're right, you're rubbish. There's a war over this. And there's a battle for your soul. And that moment is a precipice for human beings to come to the end of themselves and not despair, but step over into something. What do we step over into? Humility. I can't do it, God. Really significant moment in that journey is gratitude. Can you find it in yourself to say, I have run out in this area or that area. I cannot do this anymore. But I'm so grateful that you still accept me and you want to resource me. You want to give me your Holy Spirit to change me and transform me from the inside out. And the only response I've got to you, God, is gratitude. That is such a mature place to get to. And I want to encourage you to challenge yourself with that and actually to say to yourself, am I grateful that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I can be transformed so he could give me his Holy Spirit? Do you know another thing that needs to well up in us that is a real sign that we're getting it, that we're poor in spirit but we've got it, is affection for God. Affection for the one who is the lover of your soul, who came to get you when no one else would have bothered the one sheep that's lost and the 99 safe in the fold and everyone's comfy and happy, it's fine. But there's one out there in the cold. He came to get you. He rescued you. Have you got affection in your soul for the God of heaven who came to earth to do that? And then the last one, I can't remember it. Put it back up. <laughs> Dependency. This one is the, is the door that opens the supernatural power of the kingdom of heaven. Because only when we're, our pride is out of the way and our egos are out of the way, and sometimes those things have got to go before God can have a free hand and work in our lives. Dependency is a mature position. It's saying, actually, I'm not all that. I'm not everything. I can't do everything. The most mature thing you can do is say, I've come up against the God of heaven, and he can do anything. He is majestic, 
I am ridiculous. That's the sort of position that we need to get to. He is good and I am not. He is faithful and I am fickle. And I am dependent on him for anything good. So I'm just going to end at this point and just say that those four things, I want you to just search your souls really, search yourselves and ask, am I at that place? Do I get it? Am I feeling grateful tonight for what God has done in my life that no one else could do? And in a moment when we go back into worship, in fact, band, up you jump. Um, We're going to go back into worship because worship is a good response to recognizing that we're poor in spirit. Worship is a good response if you're mourning. Worship is a place where you have to wrestle with God. Are you in control or not? Even when I'm mourning, are you still there? Are you still good? So worship is a good place to go. And I'm just going to invite you to, if you want to, and you don't have to, because you might be feeling conflicted, because I've been talking about things that are really difficult to actually accept. But if you want to, you could just stand up in order to give a sign to God. I'm actually grateful to you that I'm part of your family. You let me in because you're good and generous and kind. And I'm grateful to you. And I want to express my affection to you. And so as we go back into worship, I'm going to say a little prayer for you. But I'm just going to invite you to stand. And if you would like to, as as we do that, if you would like to come and get some prayer, one of the things you could come forward for is just to come forward and tell God how grateful you are. Sometimes we always do prayer ministry at the front. What is it you want? What is it you need? Well, you need everything. Because you're poor in spirit and you've run out of everything. And you can come forward if you like and just, just say to somebody who will come alongside you, well, just, I just need the blessing of God. I just need to know God. Because there's so many areas of my life where I'm poor in spirit and I've run out. And as we go through worship, some of the guys might come and share a few things that they feel like God has been saying. But, but you, just stand with me now if you'd like to. <clears throat> And maybe just close your eyes and put your hands out. Now, these hands are not for asking for anything, not right now. These hands, God, are a sign of worship and self-offering. These hands are saying, we recognize that we frequently come to the end of ourselves. We're poor in spirit. And yet you have called us blessed. Can you receive that? I feel like there's some people in the room right now who feel like, no, that that's, I'm excluded from the blessing because of what I've done. And Jesus says, those who are poor in spirit have come to the end of their virtue and their goodness and their strength. You're blessed. You're blessed because you're here. To receive it. Hear what Jesus says to you. You're blessed. Blessed are you. You have access to the kingdom of heaven. You who are mourning, you're blessed. You're going to meet Jesus. He's going to comfort you with his presence. 
and his goodness and his mercy over your life. So give him your gratitude. Turn your affection towards him. Tell him that you love him. And if you want help, this is exactly the right place to get help because we're all in the same boat. We're all poor in spirit. There is no one here who is superior to anyone. No matter what you've done or what you think of yourself, we're all on a level here. So come and ask for help. As we worship, come forward and get some prayer if you'd like some. But Jesus, we express our gratitude to you. We worship you now. Thank you.